For Beyond Profit, a podcast of the ANA Center for Brand Purpose, I'm Ken Beaulieu. It would be difficult to find a plant that triggers as much debate as cannabis. Some people say it's a super medicine, while others claim it's a gateway drug. While the points of view about this ancient plan run deep and wide, Massachusetts-based CuraLeaf will tell you that grass is greener on their side of the fence. The company offers lab-tested cannabis products in multiple formats for both patients and consumers, and they say they are committed to being a leading educational resource through research and advocacy. Operating in 23 states, CuraLeaf presently boasts 88 stores, 22 cultivation sites, and 30 processing locations. Joining me today is Jason White, Chief Marketing Officer at CuraLeaf. He's here to discuss the company's purpose, its marketing strategy, his thoughts on bias in advertising and prison reform, and much more. Jason, welcome to Beyond Profit. Thank you, Ken. It's great to be here and, and wonderful to meet you and dig into this, this meaty conversation. <laughs> Thank you again. Yeah, I can't wait. I've really been looking forward to this. So, Jason, for our listeners who are unaware of CuraLeaf, I'm hoping you can take them behind the curtain and tell them a little more about your company and the people behind your products. We're actually over 10 years old if you trace all of our roots back to a a medical cannabis device that was developed to help late-stage cancer patients um, who could be administered cannabis in hospitals. And that led to actually moving from the device side of the business to actually moving into the medical cannabis side of the business. And for 10 years now, we've been serving patients. We've been trying to help improve lives. And it is a truly mission-driven company, and when you walk the halls, when you go to the dispensaries, when you see the folks who are working in cultivation, who are working in research and development, who are working in marketing and sales, like people really live the brand, they live the purpose, and a lot of them come from cannabis, a lot of them have their own personal stories about cannabis, change their lives, change the lives of a loved one or a friend or a colleague, and that's why they chose to get into the business, because they've seen the impact and the effect of the plant. And I think that's one of the things that makes security very special is the people who live it and breathe it and know it and, and really respect it and, and want to share the power of the plant. So you mentioned your brand purpose. Can you just define that purpose? And I'd also love to know how it drives everything that you do and your work culture. Our mission statement quite literally is to improve lives by providing clarity around cannabis and confidence around consumption. And you know, I think that first piece to improve lives is really the biggest part of everything we do. You know, while we have three brands now in our portfolio, CureLeaf, which is an East Coast medical heritage brand that's now moving into the health and wellness space, Select, which is a West Coast lifestyle brand, much more situated into sort of what you call West Coast cannabis, you know, adult use, mm-hmm. and you know, specifically we're in music and nightlife and other areas. And then Grassroots, our latest acquisition, which is a more of a Midwest craft cannabis brand. All three of those brands come from the roots of trying to help people, trying to change lives. That's why for us it's so important in our mission statement that we say improve lives. Select came from its innate product and its, its roots come from our founder who had a friend who had a, a condition called Barrett's esophagus. And what Barrett's esophagus did was it, it prevented you from being able to smoke products like cannabis because there was a, a tissue buildup in your throat that could be very dangerous and give you bronchitis and everything else. So our founder, Cameron Forney, 
he went out and just bought every cartridge he could find, smashed them all, mm-hmm. figured out what was in them, learned that there was all types of ingredients that, that were not healthy for you and that could be improved upon. He then started to make a better cartridge. That cartridge today is what most of the industry uses. And so you can see in so many parts of our company, it started from a very, very simple goal of like trying to improve literally someone's life, trying to make someone's life better. And that comes through everything we do. And then when you talk about, you know, clarity around cannabis and confidence around consumption, I think if you look at where we are in the world today, as we look at this massively, this rapidly growing category, there's a lot of insecurity out there. There's a lot of lack of knowledge of these products, what they do, uh, how they do it, how much to take, where these things are made, if they're tested, if they're you know legal or not legal black market. We're trying to remove a lot of that indecision and insecurity from the consumer by providing them a trusted source of cannabis, the source that, again, with over 80 retail stores around the country, three brands, you know, vertically grown in most part, we are for the most part seed to sale and you know, compliant in every which way you can imagine and really, really take cannabis seriously and take providing high quality, clean, tested, potent and pure cannabis. And we take that very, very seriously. So. For us, like our, our mission drives everything we do. I mean, we, we're constantly discussing our cultivation process and how we can produce more consistent products for the consumer. Mm-hmm. Constantly discussing how we can address retail. How do we change retail from, you know, the double-sided bulletproof glass and the security guy to a store, a shop, a Whole Foods, an Apple store, you know, like a Nike store. Like, how do we think about how real consumer brands give the consumer an experience and make them feel at home, make them feel comfortable, take them on a consumer journey. Those are the types of conversations we have day in and day out about how to evolve our brand, evolve our business, and lead our industry. And that all comes from our mission, you know, clarity around cannabis and confidence around consumption. So Cureleaf has a disparate workforce all across the country. And for many companies, that's a challenge to try to keep everyone aligned around the purpose. And it sounds to me like the fact that you're having this day in day out communication has made all the difference. Is that true? Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, two days ago, we had our three days ago now, we had our first town hall with our newly aligned 3,300 person company. Uh, you know, with the acquisition of grassroots, we are now 3,300 people, the largest company were one of the largest in this business and it was very important to us to start off with a town hall and speak to our mission speak to our vision speak to our values you're right we've got a lot of folks in the company that you know are legacy people and understand who we are because they watched it happen and because they sat down the hall from the ceo who's the founder who's still the ceo you know like the, the further and further people get away from the founder the further and further people get away from you know wakefield massachusetts where we you know where we do the, the hq kind of business it's harder to know the legacy the story the history the, you know those kind of nuances so for us now we're putting in those measures that you have to do when you're a larger corporation and make sure people hear the message from the top, make sure it gets cascaded down, make sure people understand the decisions that we're making that are aligning to mission, vision, and values. And then this is a year where we've had to really rely on our values. I mean, from a pandemic, a huge issue with race relations in America to a questionable economy, like these are all things that require us to lean on our values in a major way. And we really need 
and want our consumers, uh, sorry, our customers, our, our employees, excuse me, mm-hmm. first and foremost, we want them to feel like they know who they work for, they feel good about that, they feel secure in what they do every day, and then we want that to translate that to our consumer that knows we're not going anywhere, we are an essential service, we do what we do for our patients, for our consumers, and we do it with a degree of pride and with our values in place. Jason, has it been a challenge at all to convince skeptical consumers about your true purpose in terms of improving lives? I'll be very transparent. You know, we are, in a lot of eyes, we are big cannabis. And I think if you look at, if you take the word big and put it next to any other industry, <laughs> that's a very bad word. Pharma or big oil, you know? And I think what we're trying to do is convince people that's not a bad thing. Like We are trying to, first and foremost, it's our efforts that are trying to give birth to an industry. You know, it's our discussions with government. It's our ability to try to push on the right social equity measures. It's our ability to help fund, you know, real growth in this industry. It's our efforts to help make sure the markets feel secure. Like, big cannabis, or at least from the lens of Curly, but we're trying to give birth to an industry and help legalize an industry that, that is long past due for legalization. That's the one area where I think we are really doing our part, but it's really hard to explain all that. I can't explain that in an ad. I can't explain that retail associate who's just trying to sell someone, you know, a new gummy or a new, you know, pre-roll. So there, there are a few places where we get to tell the whole story and we get to give people the perspective of what, what we're really trying to achieve and just how much of a role we have to play in so many aspects of the industry to make sure this industry happens. But I, I think that's part of the, as James Brown said, pay the cost to be the boss. Yeah. And, you know, I think for us, it's, that, that comes with the territory. We're not asking for a thank you. We're not asking for, you know, a medal. We're trying to put this industry into the world and, mm-hmm. and make sure that it is thoughtful and it's successful and it is here to stay long term. So in other words, you have to constantly be beating the drum, it sounds like. Yeah, <laughs> you have to. In, in times of, you know, success, in times of failure, in times of, ridicule or critique, you've got to mm-hmm. keep being drunk, you've got to like, be sure of your values, be sure of your business model, and continue to progress this industry forward and progress this business forward. So you mentioned um, a little while ago about the fact that we're living in some really crazy times. I'd love to know whether your business pivoted at all as a result of the pandemic, and are there any lessons that you learned along the way that you think would serve other companies well? I mean, that's, that, is a, that is a podcast in and of itself. <laughs> I think like so many businesses, we, we absolutely had to pivot. And I think the difference for us was our pivot wasn't because our businesses were being shut down. Our pivot was because our businesses were being told to stay open. It was a huge, huge thing to see cannabis be uh, deemed an essential service, one that we felt was a long time coming, very well deserved, and a huge testament to our patients, you know, a huge testament to understanding like there are people who will really treat day in and day out treat themselves with cannabis and to accept that and, and honor that and allow that this essential service was huge. Now, that said, we had to do huge shifts to our business, first and foremost, to make sure we protected our employees who could then in turn protect our patients. So, you know, we saw curbside delivery, we saw some cases like in Massachusetts, we saw abilities get shut down completely, we saw delivery only in Nevada. So, I mean, everything from trying to find more employees so that we could have more people to work A shift and B shift and C shift, you know, trying to hire from other industries like the restaurant business that was laying people off, training them up into cannabis, finding drivers who maybe would have been Uber drivers 
to how we are working in cultivation so that we're social distancing and so that we're making sure, you know, we're protecting the plant, protecting the people. There was a huge shift of it. And then I think in addition to all of that, cannabis just at the beginning of being digital business, that was a huge shock to everybody. It was like, oh my God, we're about to get digital fast. And luckily we had had this conversation last summer and we already were working towards this task, but this put everything into, I mean, just absolutely into high gear. You know, we're seeing over a hundred percent increases quarter on quarter of our digital business. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was just an absolute indicator of, of how quickly we needed to upgrade our digital offering, how quickly we need to upgrade the ability to be able to get your candidates online. So we had to spin up a huge team to sprint in upgrading our, our e-commerce business and really making sure that that was, that was um, at a level that, that could handle the volume and, and provide a really you know, stellar shopping experience because I think we were a little behind there. And then also the last part of that was marketing, right? Yep. How do you market in this moment? And what we decided was, first and foremost, we weren't. We were going to, you know, pull back and, and let things settle down and, and let us, let our service to our consumer and to our essential workers, let that be our marketing and, and, and let's lead by our actions. And then after we kind of got through the first four weeks or so, that's when we then decided, well, hang on, you know, Select, which is our lifestyle brand on the West Coast, and, and will probably be the first, and our intention is to make it the first real national brand in Canada. Select is about the relentless pursuit of progress, right? When it started with making a better cartridge for a buddy, mm-hmm. our tagline is select better. We believe that we can always make things better. And that really led our sort of uh, return to marketing. It was like, okay, well, if we are... It was very simple things. Like, for example, I saw a brief that said, if we're all stuck at home, then maybe we should do X, Y, Z. And maybe Select can provide X, Y, Z. And as we talked about it, we said, we're not stuck at home. We're choosing to be at home, right? We've decided to be at home because we're doing this to save lives. We're doing this for our country, for each other, for our loved ones, for our neighbors. And, like, even that little twist of a point of view from saying, since we're stuck at home, to saying, since we're we're choosing to stay at home, that instantly changes your point of view of what you can talk about and why you can talk about it. And, and that opened the door for us to bring joy to people and to bring a better time at home where we're making the right decision to stay at home. And now we can bring you things like, we, we gave away a couch, you know? It's like, hey, you're staying at home, win a couch. Right. You know? we, we sent meals to blood tenders who were working in the dispensaries and didn't have a chance to be at home or, or who we, we launched a project called The Pantry internally at our company. So it was a chance to get discounted products for some of the things that you may not have time to get because you are an essential worker and you are working these hours to keep our dispensaries open. Mm-hmm. And here's a way to get discounted products sent straight to your home, everything from household products to cannabis products. So you have that mindset shift and when you go back to your values, I thought we came out of it with a really great strategy and a really great way to bring our voice to consumers and be helpful at a time when you're really struggling with ways to be helpful. Right. I mean, it certainly sounds like I was just going to ask, you know, amid this whirlwind of activity, it seems to me that you really leaned into your purpose, which we, we're hearing from many marketers, that that's what they had to do to sort of get through this. Yeah. I mean, if you don't know who you are, if you didn't know who you are when the pandemic hit, you were in trouble, you know? <laughs> and I think there's only so many times the brand can say we're in this together. Like, how many times did you see we're in this together, we're in this together? And at some point, it's like, well, guys, now we have to actually say something. Like, right. <laughs> what are we doing? How are we helping? Or how 
are we not helping and why is that intentional? You gotta know who you are. And I think for us, luckily, you know, with the Cureleaf brand, we've been about helping people for years and years and years. And with Select, we, we knew that we were about making moments better for quite some time now. So I think luckily we kind of had that roadmap there and we were able to kind of just execute within the spaces of who we were as these two brands. So let's talk a, a bit about the work that you and your team are doing, specifically bringing the Cureleaf story to life. I'd like to know how you're doing that. I mean, it's, it's certainly prevalent in your website. What other ways are you elevating Cureleaf, especially to those who, or to dispel a lot of the myths that are out there right now in the industry? Well, it's funny. I would start right there with the myth. Our yeah. tagline is cannabis for confidence. And that tagline is going to start to roll out. It already has, but it's going to start showing up on packaging, you know, everything we're doing. Because for us, like for us, from a product standpoint, that's first and foremost what's most important. When we say cannabis with confidence, then you got to know what that means. And that means seed to sale. That means no pesticides. Or that means, you know, all the things that that has to mean for a consumer to take that product off the shelf and feel good about it. We are now starting to kind of put meaning into that line, cannabis with confidence, and help people understand, like, that product you're picking up is, is one that you can feel confident in. And then secondarily, as you look at, you know, the stigma of cannabis, and as you look at just even the visual representation of the category was the stoners and reefer and all that. And we're, we're trying to tell stories of folks who are, who are patients that are using this product to, to enhance their lives and make their lives better, all the way up to adult use moments and wellness moments. Like we're working with yoga influencers, we're working with chefs, we're working with folks who are really improving life through cannabis. That's what we're working towards, and we're early, early days. We're just starting to roll out cannabis and confidence as a point of view. We're just about to roll out all of our new packaging. Our new website just launched. We're very excited about, you know, the retail stores are going to start flipping soon. We're going to start to see in Florida a whole new look for our business for the huge market, and, you know, so many registered patients there that we can help. So we're really putting out our first truly integrated 360 marketing effort. And, you know, I think in the old days, I would have told you it was this big two-minute film, and it was, you know, like my Beat by Dre days or Nike days or Brian McKenzie days. But this is one where the industry has so much to do to earn the consumer's confidence and to build a business that we're really starting kind of bottom up instead of top down. Like we're starting with, you know, what does it say on the packages? You know, what does it say? Right. You know, how do we talk about the benefit of a product? Mm-hmm. How do we talk to you in an email? How do we talk to you in a text message? Mm-hmm. Okay, now let's talk about when you walk into a retail store. What is what is the POS thing? What's the POP saying to you? What, how are we training our um, our associates to make you feel comfortable, make you feel at home? How are we physically changing the store so you feel like you can walk in here and you're not buying drugs, not mm-hmm. you're not sneaking into the side door? Like all of these things have to happen before we can even put voice to a marketing quote unquote campaign. And I think we are ready to start really going to the more traditional mass channels of marketing. We're excited about the platforms that are now taking cannabis. First publications, Condé Nas, Device. Like, there's a lot of folks now that are taking cannabis advertising. But for us, it's like first and foremost, build the bone and put cannabis and confidence in place in a way where it has true meaning and we can point to that meaning and point to that efficacy. And then let's come with the great storytelling and let's really make sure people sort of understand who this brand is and where we want to guide them to. I think one last thought. I think the biggest premise that we have is that cannabis is not one size fits all. It's such a personal 
why he reacts. It's so personal to your own cultural reference that we really believe in, you know, building a cannabis program with you and making sure that it's what works for you. Are you working with influencers, Jason, because it's so personal? We are. I wouldn't say because it's so personal. I would say, well, I guess, yeah, I, I think that's pretty, that's fairly accurate because it is so personal. The stories that come from cannabis experiences are incredible. Like for, for a lot of the brands I've worked on, Disney, uh, Nike, Beats, like I've touched these brands in some capacity, Tiffany, you know, Chrysler, Dodge, like you hear great testimonials when you work on these iconic global brands, but there's all, that's a whole different thing when you hear someone talk about how it changed their health, their livelihood, how it helped a family member die comfortably how it, how it gave someone a second chance at life. I mean, these are next-level emotional uh, stories and, and experiences. So that's why we want to bring folks like that to the table. Now, the unfortunate thing is because of the Schedule One classification of the drug and because of, you know, huge issues with compliance, we can't even say any of that stuff. We can't say this healed your right. pain or it stopped sure. your pain or it, So for this big integrated campaign that you're about to launch, are you placing a big emphasis on multicultural marketing or tapping into cultural movements? I wouldn't say a huge emphasis on multicultural marketing in the sense of a traditional media buy. Like I have very strong beliefs about multicultural marketing. I honestly think that multicultural marketing is just marketing. Like the world is a multicultural place and you're still thinking about which part of your budget goes to African-American and which part of your budget goes to Latinx. And which, I, I think that you probably have already missed the boat. I think that we are a society now that is so uniquely intertwined, right? Mm-hmm. And then digital, it's so, there's so, so many unique storytelling uh, moments that are cross-platforming. I think we have to think as a diverse and multicultural business. And then, and of course, there's consumers that have, very different insights into cannabis. You know, we're looking at doing a test in Florida with the Latinx community because it's super taboo in the Latinx community. It's probably more taboo than the black community. So like, those are insights that we have to understand and we have to know how to speak to those consumers and how to go into those communities and really show a different way and a different type of understanding and a different benefit. But overall, I think my, my expectation is that we build brands uh, with a expectation of diversity and inclusion and a voice of diversity and inclusion and you know something that's been a part of my career for gosh since 2008 9 10 before that i've been very involved in both on the advertising side and and on the on the client side around diversity initiatives so i expect that we work that way i expect that our brand think that way and it's something i'm very proud of especially on the select brand that's been one to, to really champion multicultural audiences and just it's just a part of the voice and I think with, with Cureleaf, it's very much the same thing. When you look at our consumer base, I mean, that's one of my favorite things about dispensaries. 
country, there is no like typical consumer. There's old, there's young, there's black, there's white, you know, there's Hispanic, there's Asian, there's like, it's just the plant touches so many people in so many ways. And it's just a part of a culture. So to me, it's, it's, it's one of the most incredible things about cannabis is if you're not thinking and acting multiculturally, then, then you're not even in the space. Well, because I really appreciate your candor, Jason, I have to ask, why are we still talking? Why is the industry still talking about multicultural marketing? Overall, should we be moving away from it? No, I think, well, for one, I'm not sure everyone sees the world the way I see the world. And a lot of those people are in charge still. And I think that there continues to need to be audit of what these brands are committing to, what they're saying, how they're spending their money, and, and who their audiences are, and how they are expressing themselves. And I think what you're seeing right now, both on the agency side with a lot of the frustrations for folks internally there, like, you know, folks working in the industry, not feeling like they have a voice, not mm-hmm. feeling that they are represented, not feeling like their work is getting out into the world to speak to the audience that they feel they can speak to. That's a problem. That needs to be addressed through representation and through senior leadership and, and making sure that you know, brands are valuing the power of diversity and the power of diverse creativity, mm-hmm. I think. And the fact of the matter is there's still a tremendous amount of population that doesn't feel represented they don't feel marketed to they don't feel that they're getting a chance to partake or be included in various aspects of of society so i think that's why overall in marketing we're still having the conversation i mean look at diversity numbers look at the leadership numbers look at the mistakes we're still making uh, in terms of how folks are being treated from comp to promotions to what work is getting approved like it's systemic and it still needs to be addressed Mm -hmm. i think when you look at it through the lens of cannabis, that's a, a whole nother story because now you're talking about, you know, the war on drugs. You're talking about right. communities that have been like really, truly damaged and harmed. It's like, it's a whole nother level of significance and importance and just severity. And I think what you're seeing right now is a lot of the big MSOs, the multi-state operators, and cannabis are not very diverse at the top, and that's something that we all are recognizing and, and needs to change, and we're trying to change. But even more importantly than that, it's just about how do we make sure there's participation? And for communities that help build this industry, communities that have lost their fathers and their brothers to prison because of this industry, because of this plant, because of the war on drugs, that has to be recognized and has to be reconciled. And there's not enough being done to fix that. And I think that actually we're, we have dug deep and we're putting out real solutions on the table that we think can help change this issue and help move this issue forward. But it's going to take effort at every level. Even when we talk about diversity and inclusion, like there's still folks that don't want to be in this industry because of their own understanding um, from their own communities about like what it means to be in Canada. So there's, there's issues aspect of cannabis and people of color. Right, right. So Jason, I want to talk about two other serious topics. The first one being bias in advertising. And um, I'm sure you're aware the marketing industry right now is trying to make some big push to eliminate that bias. I'd really love to get your thoughts on the initiative, you know, as an African-American, as a chief marketer, as a former agency exec. I mean, you offer so many different perspectives and I'd love to hear yours. I guess my first thought overall is it absolutely exists. And it, this is not just the U.S. I mean, this is a global issue. 
from their bosses, their parents, whatever generation is before them. And I think we are finally now, through very, very unfortunate circumstances, we've reached, this has all come to a head. Like, it's time to make changes in representation. It is time to recognize that, one, if you're a brand, like, there are people every day giving you dollars that do not feel represented and at times even feel subjugated or spoken down to and that's no longer okay and i think well what also needs to happen is brands are not they're not putting real accountability on advertising agencies people say it and then like every couple years they do the audits and all that right but i can tell you there are very few leaders who are really truly going to their agency and saying if you don't have representation in this building you're gonna lose my business that's where we need to get to like the change, like, I always say, like, this is about money, people, you know? This is about money. The dollar is the vote. Until we're willing to put our money next to our actions, things are not going to change, you know? People are going to make great presentations, and they're going to talk about where they're going next, what's on the horizon, and that horizon is never going to come because right. it's about dollars. Until the people with the money force the people who want the money to make some changes, it's not going to happen. So, Jason, are you confident that we will eliminate bias in advertising? I don't think we'll ever completely eliminate it. I do believe, though, that we're at a point of significant change. When you see films about black hair, when you see companies being stood up that are focusing on bias, when mm -hmm. you see the big players like P&G, what Mark was doing, like what Antonio was trying to do with Facebook, like I think these are the, when you see the big pillars starting to move, that are going to drive industry and dollar and decisions, I think you're going to see results. You're going to see change. I think we've got a long way to go to really get to actual change, but I feel that that's one big piece of it. The other big piece of it is more than ever, you're seeing people of color or folks that really, really get it, allies, I guess to use the term, who are in phenomenal seats in the industry. I'm on a bunch of different threads with great leaders who come from diversity, who lead through diversity, who understand the power of diversity. And you know, that number's only gonna get bigger. And I think one of the things to come of this George Floyd moment is brands are really taking stock of who is in their building and who is represented. I cannot tell you the amount of activity going on with headhunters around trying to find leaders who are people of color or who are have track records of living and, and making decisions that are in line with we all feel this country needs to go and this world needs to go, which is quality. So I do think that we're going to make big strides. I think this moment, unfortunately, it took the death of George Floyd, but I think we're going to see, and many others, but I don't mean to just say it's George Floyd, but I think we're going to see change. I think we already are seeing change. I think when you look at women like Bozoma going over to Netflix, when you look at Nike stepping up with huge dollar amounts to push towards the community, I think this is a moment where we're going to see step change. I think I'm nervous, I'll be honest. I'm nervous about where are those dollars going to go? Where, how are they going to get applied? Is it going to go to black-owned businesses? Is it going to go to folk, the right leaders who, who are in this to create change, not in it to get their name in, you know, the Wall Street Journal or whatever? Like, like we got to be vigilant. we got to keep an eye on things. But I can tell you from the conversations I've had with some of the biggest brands on the planet and some of the best leaders on the planet, everyone is in tune. Everyone is aligned. Everyone is like, now is the time to create positive change and to create representation 
Isn't that what being purposeful is truly about? Yeah, I think it's funny. I just listened to the speech, This Is Water, last <laughs> night. My, my fiance, we were up in Big Bear listening to just content and hanging out. And there's a, there's a graduate convention speech, graduation convention speech called This Is Water. And the whole entire thing is about, it opens with one fish passes another fish. And the older fish says to the younger fish, of the water boys and the younger fish says what is water <laughs> right <laughs> does the fish know what water is and he then expounds to say the, the, the greatest thing we have with education and with intelligence is our own ability to choose and to realize and to recognize and to see what's around us and decide what we're going to let be okay versus what we're not going to let be okay mm-hmm. whether standing in the supermarket line is going to be monotonous and boring and a chance for you to be angry because you think the whole world revolves around you or standing in the supermarket line is a chance to look at the woman in front of you and say she might have it worse off than me she may work at the hospital that saved my brother's life last year or like you know how much perspective do you want to have in this world how much do you want to really say is not okay and is okay and just how aware and awoke do you want to be so i thought it was a beautiful beautiful story i recommend everyone checks it out and i think um Thanks for sharing that. Jason, you also have huge interest in prison reform, and you alluded to that earlier. And you started the nonprofit called Possible Plan, hoping that you could tell our listeners a little bit more about that movement. Very simply, the mission of Possible Plan is to change the narrative. And think about the cannabis scenario when you think about what has happened in you know black and brown communities with stop and frisk, with the war on drugs. You know, there's just too many folks that have gone off to prison or had tremendous opportunities taken from them because of missed opportunities, because of a record, because of an arrest, because of all the different things that come from an entrance into the penal system, the criminal justice system. So what we're trying to do is change that narrative. And that really starts from, first and foremost, education. You know, we have a, it's about a one hour education module that we've worked with Revolve Impacts on and Mike De La Rocha, who's an incredible guy. We basically worked really hard to develop this one-hour seminar that actually tells you what really happened, what really is the war on drugs, what really is the history of cannabis, how did we get here? And to me, that is step one. If mm-hmm. we're going to change the narrative, you got to know the narrative. And this is both to cannabis companies, but even to like the Nikes of the world who have made so much money on the black community and who don't even know what happened in the black community. You know, like, like I want everyone taking this, this course. I want everyone understanding that, like, there were instrumental systemic changes that were decisions by people to criminalize this plant and to ruin a community and a group of people in this country. So that's step one, right? How do we educate? How do we start to change that narrative? And then from there, we really look at how we can help those who have already been impacted. Possible plan has been a part of, I think, three expungements, expungement clinics to date. One in, two in Portland, one in, in Baltimore, the expungement were like 600 charges for like 300 or 400 people, I think it was. So really trying to do the work on the ground in the community to like give people a second chance and change their narrative, right? Make their, let their narrative shift towards a job opportunity, a apartment they can get now. Like, you know, what are all the things that can happen by shifting that blemish, by shifting that narrative? So that's sort of the second thing that we do. And then the third thing that Possible Land does is, again, trying to raise money to help with those 
who are doing the work. We had an event at MJ BizCon last year, which is kind of the con of cannabis, or, or the, the uh, CES of cannabis, as more and more accurate, the CES of cannabis. And we did an event there where we hosted a dinner as a fundraiser. We, shared, we screened a film called Fractured States, made by a good friend of mine, Justin Benalil, who worked with me on many Geek by Dre projects. And the film follows three black men who went to federal prison for doing nothing wrong. Well, two did nothing wrong. One did do something wrong. But, I mean, these are men who, one of them, a guy named Virgil, had six legal cannabis medical dispensaries. And they were legal in the state of California, but the federal government came in and arrested him. He was seven years in jail. Another man that did seven years in jail just for someone else selling out of his store, which he was not aware of. And then another guy who, uh, due to the three-strike policy, is doing life in prison. Uh, his name is uh, Corbain, completely blanking on his last name right now, where he helped me with that. And doing life in prison, then, there's a huge movement with the Last Prisoner Project, which is a big part of Steve D'Angelo's legacy, helping to get, um, Corbain Cooper, that's his name, helping to get folks who are serving these incredible sentences out of jail. So our effort is to help use moments like MJ BizCon to get people together, build awareness, raise money, and, and then help contribute towards some of these causes, some of these, some of these groups that are really, really on the ground doing the work. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we were off to such an incredible start. When COVID hit, it hit hard. You know, our ability to fundraise just got absolutely cut at the knees, and not for that reason. Like, there's a lot of reprioritization that had to happen when COVID hit, and we're excited to kind of pick our heads up out of the fray in the next couple months and get back to doing what we do, which is really, really helping change the narrative. Mm-hmm. And we're actually going to do our first session inside internally at Killleaf next week. We're coming in to oh. teach a lot of my marketing team the true narrative of the war on drugs. And then we're going to start taking this through the organization and start taking to other organizations. Mm-hmm. Those of you in cannabis and those of you outside of cannabis who are listening to this, call me, sign <laughs> up. We will come We will come educate you on what really happened in the war on drugs and, and the story of cannabis. Because it's such a noble cause, Jason, are you finding that a lot of brands are reaching out to you to have to partner in any shape or form? When they know about us. For yeah. example, when we did the dinner in Vegas, just overwhelming feedback. Weed Maps, their corporate social responsibility team came forward and said, we have to partner together. We had another great company that came and said, we want to build a product with possible plan and start helping you guys raise money. So when people get to hear what, what possible plan does and experience it, instant reaction, We've just, again, been hit so hard with COVID-19 and the yeah. ability to raise funds that just had to really kind of pump the brake. And, and, and quite honestly, my own focus has been in the world of care relief and the acquisition of Select and the acquisition of grassroots and making sure that we have built this business in a really smart and long-term way. So we're going to turn our focus back in the next, hopefully, 60 days and really get that moving again. That's great. Well, best of luck with that. Last, you've said in the past that your passion is people, which I personally think is a great purpose. And um, I'm hoping that you can just elaborate a little on that. I learned a lot about myself going from an advertising agency leadership role. I was the managing director in China, where I really felt that it was like in my purpose. I really felt that helping these young kids in Shanghai who didn't come from school systems and didn't come from art schools where they understood their own power of creativity, where they didn't even really, couldn't even go home and reconcile it with their parents who definitely were not taught about the power of creativity and the value of creativity. It's like, go be a banker, go be a lawyer, you know, work for the government. And I didn't realize how much I got from that until I left. And when I spent the next five years at Beats by Dre, what I realized there, it was such a strong community, such a, a brand with such an identity that, 
I think that while that was career changing and life changing for me, it was so much fun. It was the moment where I wasn't the leader that I had been previously because I wasn't in charge, right? I was a part of a band, as Jimmy always says, which I love. You know, like everybody grab an instrument and we're a band. Mm-hmm. And then leaving that experience and going into Canvas to bring marketing leadership for the first time to a a company that was ready to evolve and building a marketing department from scratch. It just brought me back to the memory of the things that I love, which is seeing a person develop, seeing someone find their creative journey, seeing someone win and seeing a team come together, fight through the difficulties, start to gel, start to get some wins, and then really start to like turn people's heads and then like make the industry take notice. Like that's what I love seeing people reach their highest potential. And for me, every time I try to do something that's contrary to that, I'm not happy. I'm not satisfied. I've learned that now that for me, leadership and inspiring and building people is just what's most important to me. Everything else. While I love marketing, while I love creativity, while I love this cannabis space, like it's all secondary to the people you do it with and the people you try to build along the way. What a perfect way to end our incredible conversation. Jason, I can't thank you enough for joining me on Beyond Profit, and I wish you, Relief, your nonprofit, all the best moving forward. Thank you, Ken. It was really, really great to meet you. I appreciate your time. To learn more about Relief, visit curaleaf.com and that's C-U-R-A-L-E-A-F. Until next time, thanks for listening.